Hello, race fans. Welcome to another edition of uh, the Goat Rodeo here. This is Jeff Gilder. It's been a while since we've been on. We've been taking a little break. But guess what? We're back. And, and uh, living color and sound and all that stuff. Uh, we we got a great guest on tonight. we got Mr. Don Gray from Kingsport, Tennessee. Yep, he's a hometown boy. I've known, been knowing Don, as they say here in South Carolina, Don. They don't say I've known Don. I've been knowing Don. Um, I've, I've been here since 2001, so I've got some South Carolinian in me. But I've been knowing Don Gray all my life. How about that? That's a long time, ain't it? Well, as long as I started knowing Don when I was old enough to know who people were. You know, I don't know. Explain <laughs> so, your way out that's of that. That's good, dude. <laughs> so we got Tim Leeming on with us from Columbia, South Carolina. We've got uh, Jack Walker in the studio here with us. And Mr. Gray is uh, at Grayland in Kingsport, Tennessee. That's where he lives, Grayland. Um, <laughs> hey, it's the truth, right? Yes, it is. I said if Elvis could have it in Memphis, I could have it in Sullivan County. That's exactly right, man. Sullivan County, <laughs> that's it. That's exactly hey, you right. want to hear my Elvis story? No, no, no. We're not listening to no Elvis stories. No, tonight. please. <laughs> All right. So, <laughs> so, uh, so let's dig in here and, um, and, and get this thing going. And see what we can come up with. So, Don, I, I want to cover some of the uh, uh, drag racing uh, part of your story early because that uh, that's kind of opposite of what I sent to you on the interview sheet. But in in the timeline of Don Gray racing history, that was the first thing that happened, and in in the early '60s, and uh, right. and 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 you built Torture, the first '55 Chevrolet uh, Gasser. Um, why did you build that car, man? Why did you decide to get into racing? Well, there were a couple of reasons that, that I did that. Uh, I bought a new 64 Chevrolet 409 back in 64, and uh, I took it to Willard Dodson Blumble, and he did a lot of work on the engine, put a 514 gear in it. We jacked the front end straight up and took the bumper off and put two heater hose or uh, dryer hose back to the carburetors out of the two bright lights on the front. And I kept getting in trouble, staying in trouble with the law. It wasn't for speeding. They got me for drag racing and two or three other things. Finally, we got into court, and the judge said, look, I've had enough. He went out. He got off the bench, and we went outside and looked at the car, and he said, look, build you a race car go to jail. Which one you want? So that's what happened. That's how torture got built. That's cool. I've got a picture up of a young Don Gray with uh, Willard Gott standing over the, yeah. with, with the top popped up on torture. Um, right. Well, tell us a little bit about Willard Gott. A lot of people on here may not have heard of him. I know him from be, from being from there, but go ahead. Willard was a he was a real legend in racing. He'd worked for Smoky Eunuch for a few years, and then he came home and and uh, started uh, running some rails for Ronnie Cox out of Virginia, and they ran all NHRA. And he knew about everybody there, and he was just a whiz uh, at engines and doing different things, and uh, and so. I got an opportunity to meet him in 64, and then when this race car came up, I went up to see him, and I said, Willard, can you build me a car for $1,200? And he said, sure can. Come on, and we ended up spending 12000 But <laughs> Well, you spent the 1200 right? He told you the truth. Well, <laughs> I'd spent the 1200 before I got there. Jerry Gully, basically, I bought a used uh, Wreck 55 and took it to Jerry Gully, and he put a straight axle under it, and he put a full floater rear end in the back and a cage in it and a seat. And then I took it and got it painted, and I was under. I figured that I'd get the car up in 1966, so I put 66, had it lettered, put 66 on the door and all that. And so then when I went to Willard's, the car was ready, and all he had to do was build the engine and do the transmission and the clutch and all of that. So that's how it all come about as far as getting the car ready to go. Uh, you know, so we we just gone from there, but. I, it, it was about twelve thousand to build it back then, which was a lot of money. I can tell you that for me. So, uh, did you drive the car, Don? Yes, I sure did. So, what, what, did you do any good? Well, we won. We won about every race we ran. I run in some of these uh, smaller tracks. Uh, I got beat once. I, there was a car out of Virginia that I pulled it back in the fourth gear too quick. I thought I had him. I run off just hid and he. Top in, he got me, and that's the only time we got beat running at a lot of the shorter tracks or smaller tracks. But yeah, we had, we it was a, it was 
it was out there. We had a lot of stuff in that engine and stuff that people didn't have, and we were just a little bit ahead of our time for here. So that was, we done really well with it. We uh, it was a ten thousand RPM car, wasn't it? Right, it sure was. We had the <clears throat> Willard. Uh, what happened there was uh, Willard. He decided we was going to build a, 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 a high RPM engine. So he had a friend, Jack Christman, that ran funny cars for Ford Motor Company, and he was coming in in the the fall of 95 or late late spring late late summer and willard had him bring in a lot of the parts for that engine so he comes in and and uh, and we get everything together and we take off and we go to red cornets in kentucky to get it balanced and i'll never forget it jack was telling red faster faster when we were spinning the crank and uh, red got his arm caught in the in the crank there that day and really tore his arm up pretty good but Anyway, so he goes with us, and we come back, and we get the engine together, and then he's telling Willard, well, you know, you boys need to go with me, because he was going around running some small drag strips with where they'd pay one funny car. Two, two cars would come in, and they'd run each other, and they'd, you know, for five or $600, sometimes a 1000 apiece, you know, put on a show. So Willard said, you got to go with us, and I said, I can't do it. I've got a job. I can't leave. And he says, yep, got to do it. See if you can get off. So... I was working at, at a plant here, and they gave me a three months leave, and so we left with him. And we, Willard said, "I'll show you how to do this." And I said, "You know, I don't really have the money to leave either." And Willard said, "Come on, get three hundred dollars, and I'll show you how to do this. And then, and for the rest of your life, you can race, and it won't be as expensive as you think." So we left and went with him. And Willard would call those racetracks, and he'd say, "Look, we're coming. I got this young man here. We've got a ten thousand RPM car." And uh, we're going to put you on a little show of our own. If you give us a little money when we get there, we'll be glad to come in. So we'd get $50, $60, And that taught me a lesson right there that if I was going to race, uh, people would have to help. So that's what we did. And my first thing we got free was Kindle Oil, and then we had spark plug people come on and different things. And so it, it, wasn't, it wasn't too bad a deal. We, you know, I, I made enough money to stay on the road. We had a 60 Ford panel truck that was painted yellow, and the car was yellow, and the trailer was yellow. We just buzzed around and followed Jack around for a while there, and then we kind of sped off from him, went our own way there some. But so what taught me a lot in racing. Why did yes. you call it torture? I had a friend that kept coming around the garage when we were building it at Gullies, and, and he came to Willard's too once we got up there, but he kept. It, it act like he's aggravating. He kept saying this and saying. One day I said, "You know that car's just torturing you to death," and that stuck. And so I kept that. That was that was really an original name. And uh, so I, I put that on the car. And then when I that was that was a story behind that. So before we get into to torture too, while I've got the picture of to- torture up here, um, you found the car recently, the original car, and restored it. Tell us a little bit about that. I found it in 93. You f- I, didn't I found the car in 93. Yeah. Do what? I didn't know it was it's that long me. ago. Yeah. Yeah, 93 I found it, and we brought it in. And the guy knew I wanted it really, really bad. And and uh, it had come off the trailer and hit a building or something, and it tore up the tail end of it. And it had been used a lot. And it and uh, so he knew I wanted He I had a 75-and-a-half gentleman GMC pickup parked up here at one of my rental properties. And I had an old El Camino, so he comes over and he says, "Tell you what, I'll do. I'll take a thousand dollars and those two vehicles." And, you know, I couldn't say no. I let him have them. <laughs> Brought the car in, and it just, you know, I kept it around a while, and then uh, I took it to a boy down in Marstown, and it went from there. And and he he put uh, he did some work. My body shop and at owned a trucking company, and they did some body work stuff on it. And we went from there, and then. Uh, it took 25 years to get to where it is today. <laughs> Holy cow. I'll tell you what. It well, you know, I had a lot of going on, and I couldn't do it all at once, but gradually got it now to where I can show it at these races. So when, when did you finish it? Um, as a matter of fact, two months ago. Wow. I mean, that's how long it took. Over a period of years. The first paint job on that car was $100, and I used Sherman Williams paint again on that was ten dollars <laughs> this this job this time was 6800 to paint it so you, there's a lot of difference yeah goodness gracious so how original is it 
Uh, just about, uh, well, the original car had, at, at the first had, uh, we just had steel wheels on it. And then at the end of the, end of 95 or, or 65, we put American magnesium on it. And these got just American aluminum wheels on it. It doesn't have the original seat and it doesn't have the original engine, but it does have a Hilbert injector that's, I had a 60, uh, uh, a, a 65 model injector and it's got a 66 model on it now but uh, it's basically the same it's got a, still got the fiberglass front end on it but the seat I've got the original 10,000 RPM tack I still have the original 617 rear end that was in it when I raced it and I have the 4 bolt mains that was on the 301 the first time we had some mains that were made Jack bought them in California we had 4 bolt mains on that engine so cool. it's 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 I don't know what kind of percentage you would say, but it's pretty much like it, it was when I had it, other than those things about it. So did you run Torture until you built Torture 2, or was there a gap there, or what happened? <clears throat> no, uh, I quit in 68, backed off. It. I, other things were coming along in my life, and, and that's why I backed off and quit. And uh, and I didn't do anything else until 72, and then I started. I got into dirt racing. And... Um, so we ran a uh, a '64 Chevelle from '72 to '73, and we had a little success, not a lot. But I got the bug. Let's put it that way. So, <laughs> and and so, what's the story behind Torture Two? Well, Torture Two was I've got a I've got a a, a, a coffee cup sitting here on my desk in front of me. It says. Here's to unfinished business, and that's what one of the magazines talked about. That how I had I had to finish this. I we went out and toured for three months or three three months two weeks, and I just didn't finish up what I really wanted to do. So I decided in ninety five ninety four I guess that I'd build Torture Two, which was a, a super gas car, and it was had a, a, a pro stock chassis under it and it sat right on the ground and it was just it was it was called torture two it's basically like the original torture it just more modern with bigger engine had a 572 in it and uh, we went out and ran all of nhra with it so and we won bristol we it's good to win in your hometown so we won bristol we went to darlington for irha and set them a world record in speed down there and uh so you know we we did pretty well with that car I, we ran it three years and then I had to get that back out. I backed off again because racing really consumes my. It just consumes me when I get into it. And there's, you know, I never wanted to be full time at it, so I do it a while and then back off. But uh, so it, I had a light heart attack when we were running NHRA, so I decided I better back down a while. So I backed off of that. So that's what happened with that car. But I, I, anyway, it, that was an experience. I can tell you that. <clears throat> I can relate to the consuming part i mean i'll tell you what it's hard to uh, you know it's been 18 years i guess since i raced 17 years i can still remember almost every lap i mean it's just it's it just it never goes away you know i can Uh, remember your racing you really done well to be honest with you 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 done really well you uh won some races you you proved your point and yeah, I, appreciate I haven't that. forgotten it, so there you go. I appreciate that. Um, so let's talk about uh, dirt racing and uh, Bill Morton and NDRA and Robert Smalley and, and and Volunteer Speedway. So let's start out with Volunteer Speedway. What when when did you get involved with Volunteer Speedway? Um, I bought Volunteer Speedway in 1983. I had some some stockholders or partners in that with me but we bought that thing in uh, 1983 and we owned it through 1987 uh that was an adventure on its own i can tell you that it seems like i remember you putting new dirt on the track uh, we did i was i was building a commercial building here and and the dirt the dirt that was down there was just really wasn't the kind it needed and it had a belly in it if you know, i can imagine what i'm saying yep. from the banks there was a it was bellied out all the way around, so we decided to bring this dirt because it's perfect for it. We sent we Kingsport Speedway went from asphalt or concrete, whatever they were, to dirt, and they used it. And then we hauled some to, down to Bulls Gap or volunteer and used it on that track. And uh, 
it made a lot of difference. It picked the cars up almost a second faster when we did that. So that 83, that was you were there right in the middle of the NDRA and there until after the demise of the NDRA. Uh, right. Yeah, so the NDRA started in 1978, and you were you were um, – you were around and involved then and, and uh, had some input on the rules. Tell us about that. We, uh, Bill and I took the car and went to Eldor to the World 100. At that time, they were paying $10,000 for a meet, so we go up, and Bill does really well up there. And when we come back, we're on a pole the first day. i got to throw that in there. And then motor mount broke, and he, he ended up starting eighth. But we were on a pole for a while. And... Uh, and so when we came back, uh, Robert Smalley came by to see me and asked me how it went, and I explained it to him. He said, well, I'll be back in a few days. I want to talk to you some more. So he came back, and he said, how would you like to be a partner in a race racing sanction? And I said, I don't know, Robert. Tell me what you got. So he said, well, I'll make you a partner. And we, we'll call it the National Dirt Racing Association or whatever. And he said, I need $10,000 to start it. So I said, well, you know, i got to think about that. And I thought about it for a while, and I thought, you know, I don't know if I want to be that deeply in it. But I t- so I told Rod, I said, what I'll do, I'll help you get it started. I- I'll write the rules for, the, for, for you, and I'll stay with you until you get really going, and I'll help you get your first track to start. So I did that. I wrote the rules for NDRA, and I... I I went down and talked to him. We went to Newport for his first race, and I talked to Newport to get him down there and get it started. So basically, he started on a shoestring, and uh, he made enough money off the first meet because there's well over 100 cars there to pay the bills and pay everybody, and uh, and it, it just went from there. He, uh, you know, he, he's still known by people that know what happened, and as somebody who. Uh, influence late model dirt racing yet today with those purses and bringing in um, the type of sponsorship that he brought in to the deal with slits and strobes and Dutch treat cigars and those kind of things. Um, I mean, and, and paying those big purses, um, there's still very few races today that pay those purses. And I mean, he really was quite a visionary on top of being a showman and a promoter. The showman part was a lot of how he- he did what he did. He he could really talk and do his thing, and he he you know he 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 could attract he could get sponsors and attract them, and he made a lot of noise. He's a, he he'd talk everywhere he went. He was on TV everywhere he'd go, and he'd get on the television or on the radio, and he started picking up those sponsors. You know, he got to, he got the cigar company, he got the Strohs, and things were really going well. We followed him around, raced some with him, and uh, it just. It kept going on and on. He, you know, he got into it a little bit with NASCAR. He was, I don't know if he got into it. Well, he was saying, you know, we're going to take this. We'll be the next NASCAR dirt wheel. And, you know, and it just went down. But then, it's, he, I think, my, what I can remember is he lost a sponsor or something. Or he lost one of his sponsors, and it just kind of phased out on him, and he just kind of let it go. But, you know, he done really well with it as long as he, you know, but I think he just, after a while, just gave up on it. So I'm not really sure at the end just exactly what happened because I done moved on after that. So uh, Bill Morton and you guys, how long did did Bill Morton drive for you? What span of time was that? He drove for me from uh, seventy four to nineteen eighty. Nineteen eighty, yes. Uh, Don, this he, this Jack uh, did Bill. Morton run some of the early NDRA races because I've seen the uh, Gaffney results and I got the Myrtle Beach results here from '78 and he's yes. not in either one. Yeah, of we them. ran some of them. The first race we actually sat on the pole at uh, Newport. At Newport, we sat on the pole and uh, lapped the field. We were lapping the field and uh, crank broke, and it just that just that hurt, boy. I mean, that hurt Bill really, really bad. But we had them covered, and they had over 100 cars come out for that race. And, you know, we were showing them what it was all about and that crank boat. But anyway, we didn't. We ran some of the races with those. We had, we were bounty hunting. Bill and I had done a lot of bounty hunting. We'd go around. People with tracks would say, come out and 
beat this guy, and we'll give you, we'll pay you X amount of dollars if you'll show up. So we did a lot of that, and we didn't really follow NDRA a bunch. We ran some of them, but not a lot of them. Okay. So I, I got some pictures up here. I've got of Bill's cars. I've got the uh, the Chevy two, and I've got the seventy two and the seventy three Camaro that I've been running through the stream here to let folks see. Uh, you and I talked yeah. about this the other day when I had you on the phone. I can't remember why, but one during my youth, I somehow wandered into your garage, and um, and I can't remember if the car was backed in or pulled in. You'll have to tell me, but if it was backed in, it was the left front, I think y'all had off, um, and, and Freddie Chase was in there, and you would have thought that I walked in on some sort of top-secret mission when, when that happened. I mean, it, I, don't, I don't remember everything, but you guys had it going on, man. You, you had some things figured out. Well, we had we had some stuff that a lot of people didn't have. In the seven two Camaro that I, we right, built, drove for me in seventy four and five. In seventy five, we got a little we got a slipper clutch that uh, people didn't have. We we were testing it for a company, and and back then the cars we didn't have them where they'd hook as well off the corner, and that clutch you could set it up to slip so far out, and before then it'd be hooked up totally. So we had that, and we we a lot of stuff we had. We didn't want people to know we had it, and so that might have been the problem. It could have been laying out. I'm not sure, but uh, <laughs> that was some of it. And then we didn't like we'd like you know if you <clears throat> we had gates on it, we didn't like people coming around seeing if we working on a car. It was shut up. We didn't let anybody in. Yep. And Freddie was the only real crew member I had. It's actually Freddie followed me. He was with me from torture through my last race car through my last dirt car. And, uh, and so he was an asset to me. He, uh, Freddie Chase actually helped me on my car. Uh, yeah, he was, some. yeah. Yeah. He, he followed me everywhere we went. He, he, we'd go no matter where we went. Freddie was right there with me, boy. He stuck with me. And, uh, and so right before he passed away, I put on a race at Kingsport for Bill Morton and Bill Morton night or more, whatever it was. And I introduced Freddie as a crew chief and, Told the crowd, you know, I said we couldn't, we'd have never got where we did hadn't been for Freddie. He was, and you know, and I really and truly meant that, and it, it meant a lot to Freddie. I know that. So I can in tell about you that, three months, he passed away. So yeah, that meant the world to Freddie. I, I, I guarantee you that did. That was a cool thing to do right there. <clears throat> it was. Yeah. Yep. So anyway, so go ahead. You want the next? Yeah. Uh, the '74 Camaro. I raced in '76 and '77. All right. Yeah, but yep, yep, I got that up. Yep. That car was uh, built by Max Simpson. That was uh, Buck Simmons, uh, Simpson's uh, Simmons uh, crew chief or car owner. And I bought that car from him. It, he he built that car just for one reason, and that was for David Pearson to run in, in, in Detroit. And so they took it up there to a race in the Dome. He ran that car and didn't come back and I, I I met him by accident, and he's telling me he had this car, so I bought it, and that was a good thing. I, I to buy that car got me in tight with uh, Max, and Max he came along about like Willard did, and taught me how and how to make a car really work, and how to get around a racetrack, and every that was really something. So when we built the Chevy two, the next car there. Uh, I took it. Herman Goddard built that car for me in Knoxville. And so we brought it home and I, I called Max and I said, I, I'd like to bring it down. So he invited me to come to his house and I stayed a week and a half with him. And, and he had a shop there behind his house and he absolutely tore that car apart. He worked me to death. We took the front end out my knees of it, cut the rear springs out and did an awful lot of work. And he showed me how to make a car work, how to make it hook up and did things that I, I had no no knowledge of it except that he knew. So we were we were really bad with that car. And about that same time, a company came by, came around. We I met up, with, and they offered me a small clutch, a little three disc clutch that used the automatic flywheel ring. And back at that time, excuse me, back at that time they didn't make automatic flywheel rings. You couldn't buy anything aftermarket, so we had to use a regular. Chevrolet automatic flywheel rings and they didn't last. You'd have trouble with them coming out. But when we got that and, and I ran a, 
I developed that winter. I developed a full a, a full six engine, uh, four hundred block, and uh, so what we did, we uh, John Reed made me some made the cranks for him, and so we uh, I used a longer rod in that engine, and uh, used used a Speedway cam that I got from a friend of mine that worked for uh, one of the race teams and. Uh, we used a cam in that engine that came from uh it came it came from crane they used them in running Talladega and uh and uh Daytona and so i went to i went to bud Burkey's you familiar with him yes sir i know bud well yep so bud he we de- we developed that engine at buds and what we came up with i'd seen them trying to race those engines and they couldn't they couldn't do it so what i figured out on my own that if I could take two hoses and come out of the water pump on each side and come back to the center of the block and go in the center at the drain cocks, I could put water in there because they were Siamese board. They were Siamese blocks, and you could water didn't flow between the cylinder walls. Yep, and it worked. Huh. And we just we had the upper hand for a couple of years. One of the major <clears throat> parts companies that sell race car parts had that after a year sold that started selling that you could order it and buy it. I mean, that was fine, but, you know, it got out that that was working, and so somebody started making them for them, and they, they sold it for a while, but it really made it good for us because we could run good. And then we had Max set the car up, and we were just absolutely winning everything we did. I mean, we just, where we went, it was always winning. I, I remember back in the early part when I first started racing, I was racing on dirt. And I had Fred White build me a, a 350, a really durable 350 to run in my car. And in my class, I ran against the guys that were running the 406s. And and yeah. if the 406s stayed in the race, I had a hard time. I'd run second, third, fourth. You know, I couldn't I couldn't win a race. But invariably, everybody was having problems with 406s overheating. Even then, even and 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 I, if if I could hang in there, I'd. I ended up getting some good finishes because the 406s did, didn't last. We never had a problem. Once, yeah. once I put those hoses on, and uh, <clears throat> I remember Williams Machine Shop. You remember where that was here? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Sure do. Yep. I took the uh, I took the water pump up there, and and uh, he got the hoses and everything built for me. That's pretty and cool. It, it 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 that engine stayed cool. We we never we lost a crank <clears throat> out of one of them that. Uh, when we were running that NDRA race, but other than that, they were just super. Uh, Bud Berkey did a great job. He 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 took those heads and uh, <clears throat> 406 kind of like getting up in the 400, like a 427. You got to have a big head. Now Chevrolet was too small a head; they couldn't get enough breath, you know. Yep. So he went in there and he he absolutely tears the inside of those heads up, not to the point that they crack or have a problem, but they could get more air and they done really well. And we'd run those things, man, and had that little clutch, and we were just, we were bad. Yep. <laughs> we were bad. I mean, anybody can remember it tell you, next thing would come up off the corner, the left rear would almost be flat. It'd be pulling so hard off, digging so hard off the corner. I've had several people back years that that was going on would come later here in life and say, man, I can remember that car coming off the corner, and it left rear would be flat on it. So That's a, yeah. we made a lot of a lot of deals back then and and had we did a lot of bounty hunting and here and there and they called me to come beat somebody and we'd go beat them we did a lot of things you know like they called us to come to a racetrack up in virginia we go up there they, and they pay us to come up and so the first night we go up we get beat he we run second behind that guy but we go back the next week get the same amount of money to go back and i take an orange juice can and put it on the firewall Take a rubber t- rubber hose and come out of it and come up to the breather, and then go into the top of the breather with that rubber hose. And I paint that orange juice can black. So we go up there and we raise the hood, and everybody's around looking, and it just tore them all to pieces. <laughs> we won that race, and that's the race they protested. So what I did was went over. <clears throat> I had Freddie take that can off, and I gave it to the guy we at protested. I said, "You can have it." Still <laughs> have to smell orange juice in it. <laughs> Oh, that's well, good. I need I need to ask while everybody's laughing here. What, did you prefer drag racing over dirt track, or what was your preference? Well, <clears throat> no, I tell you, I like drag racing, and I and I like you know I like running NHRA, and I like torture the first year. I liked it all, but dirt racing was 
That let me tell you something. In the spring, anybody could win a race on dirt, but in the summertime, yes, sir, that's when the men stayed and the boys went home. That is the truth. True, uh, truer words have never been spoken, man. If if a car didn't hook up, you were in trouble. And yeah. you know, you needed an asphalt setup basically on dirt when it got dry and slick. Yeah. And uh, we just, uh, you know, thanks to uh, Max Simpson, I knew how to do it, and we just. I mean, you know, anybody can boast, but I'm saying we were really good, and anybody remembers knows we were. So absolutely true. Yeah, and, and yeah, well, I, yeah, I remember. I've run some races at at Bulls Gap, some, some Sunday afternoon races down there in the summertime. And dude, I'm gonna tell you what, that was a different world. It was totally. Yeah, it sure was. Yep. So uh, we go ahead. I'm go sorry. ahead. No, no, no. No, I'm. I was just saying we traveled. We traveled around a lot, and that that was important to me to to go out and show what I had and to win races and and to get some money for coming. We, we they was one guy called us once and asked us to come to Corbin, Kentucky. Corbin, uh, where Colonel Sanders had his first place. Corbin, we yep, went up there yep, to race, Corbin, and they, yep. yeah, they offered us five hundred dollars to show up and. Uh, to win to beat the guy so what it did me and freddie went in there that night we we raced we ran we ran somewhere and came home and then that night i pulled the headers off and we we put some galvanized uh collectors on it and made them real long and oval shaped so that they'd splatter make a lot of racket so we take off we go up there and we have to turn down this small road getting into the racetrack so we i put a i put a choke feet on it and I, so I could pull the throttle back a little bit so we start that thing up going down that small road and it on the trailer on the back or holler I had a holler at that time and it, we go down in there and that thing's a rumping and a stumping and a carrying on you know and them, them, them tubes on the on those headers just making an awful racket everybody got to working on their cars and there wasn't no way we could beat them I told Bill I said you know you go out there and make a lap or two and just get up speed and then hide behind one of those light poles and don't let them know we don't have enough to beat them because we were a dirt car and they were asphalt. <laughs> Everybody went to working on their cars, and we won the race. <laughs> thing about it was, when we went up to get paid, the promoter had taken off and gone. Oh, no. So Bill goes into his concession stand, and he takes all the bologna or no, the hamburgers <laughs> and the hot dogs, all the stuff to go with it, loads it all up in that truck, some of it fixed, some of it wasn't fixed, all that stuff. We we come home. That's all we got out of that race. I'll never forget that. But he took what that man left in that concession stand. That's a good story right there. Now that's that a, is that's a, good a classic. Story. So I'm I'm looking at a car, and it was it was titled Talladega Museum, and it's a four it's a forty one car with a wing on the top. Tell me about that car. Right, that belonged to Bill. Bill raced that car for years, and and so when I was doing the the seventy two Camaro, and uh, it was behind. It was at his shop behind the shop, and so when we when we moved over and and and, and got the uh, had the Chevy too. I asked Bill one day. I said, "You want to sell that thing?" And he said, "Yeah." I said, "What do you want?" And he said, three hundred dollars." So I bought it. All was there was a, the old chassis. There wasn't a rear end transmission motor, nothing, but just the whole hull of the car was there. So I bought the thing and. I took the parts. I took the rear end and some of the parts out of uh, out of the '72 Camaro, the engine, and in that car I had a 355 engine in it, and I took it out because I still had it. I took it out and put it in that car, and got it all ready and dressed up, and then we sent it to Talladega, and it's in the museum down there. Don, is that a wing on top of it in the picture? Do what? Is that a wing on top of the? Uh... 41 in that picture. Yes, it is. So right around here, they would call that a Skeeter car. Is that what y'all called them up there? Or? Yeah. Well, no, we just called it a modified. modified? We ran, Bill ran dirt with it at, uh, around the, around an area here. And so uh, he uh, he just, we got it back together, and it, just, it was just a thrill for him. You know, he just absolutely thrilled to death to have it back. And then we got it, he, he, he alone really talked to somebody and, so they asked to bring it to Talladega, and that's where it went. So it's the museum down there at the racetrack. So one of your neighbors just commented. Gary Taylor says hello. Um, he's a good boy. He is. Good boy. I, me and Gary went to school together, and we're best friends. And he's good, good right. dude. Uh, Bill, I mean uh, Don, I need to t- ask you about 
do you watch any NASCAR races today, or you got any interest in it at all? Well, not really. They, uh, I just, uh, I used to like it some. It's it's changed so much. It's it. My opinion in that it went from blue collar to white collar, and that's not. I, I guess the big corporations come in with the money and the. And the big money went into it, and the ticket prices went up, and a lot of people couldn't go because, you know, the blue-collar men couldn't afford to pay those prices. Then when they couldn't go, they could watch it on TV. Well, that didn't get their kids interested in racing because they didn't go to tracks. And In my opinion, that's kind of what's happened to NASCAR, but, uh, you know, that's my opinion. I don't know you, you, if that's correct I, or not. You absolutely <laughs> repeated one of one of the reasons I give is, you know, I was interested in it because my dad was interested in it. He took me to my first right. race at the Sportsman Speedway in Johnson City when I was four years old, and I saw Tiny Lund and Brownie King and people like that racing, and I never I, I, that stayed with me. And and yeah. if and today the kids don't we we're losing generations, you know, of of fans. So uh, I agree with you a hundred percent on that. So well, they just didn't, you know. I didn't mean to interrupt. They no. just they when they TV came in and all the big money. They the prices in the, at the races went up. People couldn't afford that, you know, and just a lot of different things happened, and kids yep. didn't have interest because they didn't go. And I'm repeating myself, but I think that's what hurt them a lot. And uh, and cars, you know, these cars they got today, they're all like they all, they all. In my opinion, and I haven't seen one in a long time, but other than on TV, but they look like the only difference in them is the nose pieces. You know, yep. Uh, yep. the Toyotas don't look like what they're racing, so. Yeah, I agree. So I want to summarize things here. When I, when I think of, of of Don Gray, okay, and your racing, um, you you were a winner all the way around. I mean, you you, you built a state of the art drag car. You know, I mean, you you were early to the track with that kind of technology and stuff. Uh, I mean, you, you you're dirt racing. You were innovative, and you guys won races. You led there. You made your impact in racing, you know. I mean, you you've made right. your place in racing history, and 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 now I think you said, well, you said you're seventy three. Is that what you told me? Yes. So, so how yes. Do you, how do you feel about all that? Was it worth it? You know, would you do it again? Are are you satisfied yet? Well, I don't know for sure. I would do it again. A lot of people, you know, like when I was running the NHRA, people say, are you having fun yet? Well, they knew you weren't. It's stressful. Yeah. <laughs> it was always kind of stressful because I, I was only there to win. I wasn't there for anything else other than to win and to, uh, you know, so I stayed stressed a lot, I, you know, and, and uh, but we did our thing. And I now that you asked me to do all this, I – it's give me a chance to look back over them. I didn't realize I had this many cars. You know, it just you know you got them, but you don't think about it too much. So when I dug all this stuff out, you know, I stayed pretty busy, didn't I? Yeah, yeah you <laughs> so, did. You were busy, and and you spent a, you spent a fortune. You know, everybody that's ever done anything in racing knows what it costs. You know, well, it did cost, but you know, people used to ask my wife. They'd say, "I bet he spends a lot of money racing," and she'd say, "No, he never does." What happened was we had winning cars, and we had always had a lot of parts help. I used to sell parts to some of the guys that ran Kingsport in different places. I'd sell my used parts. Well, we'd run shocks on dirt. I'd run them two weeks and to most, and I'd take them off, and we'd put new ones on. And, you know, we just we did a lot of bounty hunting and stuff that helped pay the bills. So it wasn't really as expensive for me. Now, this torture, too, that was expensive. But once we got out on the circuit in parts and stuff, we didn't have a problem because we got what we wanted to do that with. But, uh we spent some money, but not a not a uh, not not a great deal. That's cool. I want to say this while we're still on the air. Karen Tunnel from Kingsport Speedway. Hi, Karen. Um, she or Tunnel. I, I never could figure what how to pronounce Chris's name. I raced against him some. Says that they have a kids club at Kingsport Speedway, and they're trying to keep the up and coming generation interested in the grassroots. And hats off to you for that. That's awesome. These folks do a great job down there. They're doing they're work they're doing great over there. Uh, that's what's happened to a lot of the, a lot of the tracks are closing down and King Sports stayed with it and they're picking up some of the cars that where the other tracks aren't there and so their 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 tenants is great. They're doing really well over there. I had uh, the, I can remember when you ran there a lot. Yep, I had the pleasure of running King Sport on as dirt when it was on dirt and and then right. when it was concrete. And I can tell you yes. this that was the hardest track on dirt 
to figure out. I, I never could get it dialed in exactly right on dirt. I won some races there on dirt, but uh, but I, but I ran a lot better at Volunteer than I did Kingsport with my dirt car. But when I got yeah. my asphalt car, <clears throat> concrete, but the running air on concrete, Paul Lewis came along and dude, he taught me how to drive that track. He showed me a line yeah. around that track that nobody else was running, and it didn't make any sense at all to me. But he made me run a thousand miles right, of practice, though. and he was right, man. And uh, I tell you, right, King Sports hard on cars. It, yeah, it, it is. It, it makes a car. It, picks up flex a lot quicker it's it's hard on a car but it's fast it is fast and turn one and two is the trouble corner for everybody john a utzman i used to sit and watch him run lap after lap after lap after lap because john a could flat get around that thing on dirt and i could never yeah driving a ford if you could imagine if that. you can imagine that yeah <laughs> i mean back when fords weren't winning yeah. i mean the short i mean on short tracks they weren't that good boy he was he, yeah. he'd clean a chevrolet's plow yeah he sure could well don he was I really good. you, you man, remember you Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no, no. Ask oh, you me. remember the Billy Babb car? Y- yes, sir. I remember Billy Babb car. That was a beautiful <clears> car. Yeah. Well, the Kingsport Speedway, they sent it when I – Billy's daddy wanted me to build him a car, so I decided to go down and do it, and when we – they sent a man out every week to check that car because it's going to be a, a street class, and they sent a man out every week to look at that car to see how it was coming. And when we took it over, you know, if you remember, I remember you telling Billy, don't touch a thing on that car because it was really a bad car. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, yeah, absolutely. It, that thing was fast, man. It was. I've got it. It looked like here. a Winston Cup car. I mean, everything, it was just absolutely out there. And so the next year, they come with Super Street. You know, they changed that to Super Street cars because the top, everything was perfect on that car. The wheels set up on the fender wells. It was just, it was just out there. It was just something else. So. Yeah, I wanted to put that in there for Billy because Billy passed away too. And uh, oh wow, I didn't I didn't know that. But he won several races with it, and uh, I, you know, I had a lot of help on it. So he, but he, that was one bad car right there. Yeah, I was trying to find the picture. I've got it here in this library somewhere, but I, I'm not going to be able to get it on the show because I can't I can't seem to pull it up there. But but that was a beautiful car. I will put that picture in the gallery with your other stuff though. And I, I'll yeah, be, you'll notice it. When you see it, the, the uh, TNT, I, TNT put the cage in it there in Bluff City, Tiny Flats, and I had them move that cage back, and you can see that when you see it. It was just really that was a well-rounded car. It, uh, yeah. it was just absolutely. It was first one of the first coil spring cars ever that had any. It would work, and yep. so yeah, Billy it made Billy car. feel good, and I'm glad it did before he passed away. Yeah, that that was a great car, beautiful car. Well, I got to tell you, buddy, it's been a real pleasure to have you on here and 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 talk about those times with you, buddy. I've enjoyed this a whole bunch, and and you know I have too, and I appreciate you letting me do it. Well, I'm going to get up that way uh, before too long. Come up and see my mom. They'll bring a camera and some stuff. I like to sit down and 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 get some of this on video with you. If that if okay, I, I want to show you my new trailer that I've got where I'm showing torture. I'm following that Southeastern Gassers Association showing it. Yeah. So trying to get it into a museum and and that's one of the reasons i'm doing it and yep. so uh come up and i'll show you what i've got what i've got going on there all right buddy i'll sure do it and thanks again man love it Appreciate okay it. Pre- yeah thank you bye-bye all right take care it was great yes it was that was right, good folks, don, don gray don gray trucking company don gray racing don gray motorsports uh i mean the dude did everything first class you know i mean he did and everybody that ever knew anything about don gray knew that he was serious about his racing now, and and I had I had forgotten about that car he built for Billy Babb until I saw it in a picture thing. And when they showed up with that car, I went holy smoke, man! And Billy was was struggling at first. I remember, and I said, "Dude, don't 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 touch that car. That thing is perfect. You mm-hmm. know, it was a great car." All right, so uh, that was fun, man. Yeah, I enjoyed it was. That's that good. Yeah, it was. I enjoyed it too. Yeah. I- so what? so let's uh, let's do the Carolina Race Place Historic Race Finish, and we've got an NDR, NDR race that we did before, but in honor of this interview, we thought we'd do it again. How's that? Yeah, man, we pulled it out of the mothballs as we did it on on the show probably a couple of years ago. But uh, since we knew we were going to have Don on tonight, we uh, dusted it off, and here it goes. There you go. In 1978, Robert Spalley of Kingsport, Tennessee, formed the NDRA which was called the National Dirt Racing Association. Smallway's vision was to have a dirt track series paying an unheard-of race purse of over $29,000 at small tracks in the southeast. 
The winner of each 100-lap race would receive $10,000 for the victory. The first points race for the new NDRA series was won by Bobby Thomas at East Alabama Motor Speedway on August 5, 1978. Two weeks later, the second race was won by C.L. Pritchard at Cherokee Speedway in Gaffney, South Carolina. The next race on the 1978 NDRA schedule was Myrtle Beach Speedway on September the 2nd. Myrtle Beach Speedway started the 1978 season as a paved track, but in June the pavement was removed and replaced with dirt. The Winter Performance 100 was a two-day event with time trials on Friday and the feature race on Saturday. Over 40 cars showed up trying to get into the 24-car starting field on the 6 tenths mile dirt track. There was a preliminary 50-lap consolation race, which awarded the first three starting positions, uh, which awarded the first three finishing a starting position in the 100-lap race. The winner of the consolation race was local driver H.P. Larimore of, from Conway, South Carolina. During the 50-lap racer race, driver Ricky McNeil was involved in a wreck and suffered a minor neck injury. Several drivers were unable to secure a starting spot in the 24-car starting field, including Doug Kinnamer, Joe Frisson, J.D. McDuffie, Jackie Rogers, Mike Owens, Tommy Bostick, Lee Edwards, Harold Fountain, Roger Kennedy, Roger Combs, Rodney Combs, and Spud Long. A lot of good drivers just didn't make the race. Wow. Big race got started with Bobby Thomas taking the lead on the first lap. Thomas continued to lead until lap 25 when he had a tire problem. Charlie Mincy was the next leader with Leon Sills and Leon Archer right on his bumper. A few laps later, Sells was involved in a three-car wreck with Mike Duvall and Joe Ritchie. On lap 30, Benny Klontz lost control and wrecked his car. About the same time, David Pearson, who started 21st and had worked his way up to 12th, pulled into the pits with mechanical problems. On lap 64, Leon Archer of Griffin, Georgia, driving the number 222 Camara, was able to pass Mincy for the lead. Archer led all the way to the checkered flag and won the biggest paycheck of his career. At the finish, the number one, at the finish, the first nine cars were still on the lead lap. And then I had as a side note, Leon Archer would end up being the first season champion for the NDRA after 13 events. So here's the way they finished September the 2nd, 1978, the NDRA race number three at Myrtle Beach Speedway. The winner, number 222, Leon Archer from Griffin, Georgia, in a Camaro, followed by the number 16 of Charlie Mincy from Kennesaw, Georgia, in a Vega. Finishing third, the number 90 of Billy Thomas, Columbus, Georgia, in a Firebird. Uh, finishing fourth, the number 22 of Bobby Thomas from Phoenix City, Alabama, in a Camaro, followed by Jenny, Jerry Inman, Bruce, Mississippi, Mike Head, Jack. Jonesboro, Georgia, Jimmy Edwards, Jr., Hope Mills, North Carolina, Dick Mills, Elberton, Georgia, Ronnie Johnson, Chattanooga, Tennessee, coming in 10th, C.L. Pritchard, Livonia, Georgia, Craven Kiker, Timmonsville, South Carolina, Roscoe Smith, Griffin, Georgia, H.C. Pritchard, Sumter, South Carolina, Jerry Rector, Greenville, South Carolina, Leon Faircloth, Fayetteville, North Carolina, was 15th. H.P. Larimore, Conway, South Carolina. Hop Holmes, Conway, South Carolina. Benny Klontz, Chesney, South Carolina. 19th, Mr. David Pearson, Spartanburg, South Carolina. Finishing 20th, Leon Sells, Mapleton, Georgia. Followed by Jody Rich Joe Ritchie, Rheingold, Georgia. Mike Duvall, Gaffney, South Carolina. Slick Gibbons, Manning, South Carolina, and the final car finishing in the 24th position, Doug Osteen from Gaffney, South Carolina. So that's the way it was, September 2nd, 1978. That's cool, man. Appreciate you doing that. Appreciate you doing it. 
So, Tim, what have you been up to, bud? Man, working, working, working. I'll tell you what, i got a lot going on with a lot of writing that I do and some of the historic organizations that I'm involved with, and I'm loving every minute of it. Um, you know, just doing that, I was up at Francis Flock's surprise birthday party Saturday. And she's 90? And she turned 90 on Friday. How about that? And they had a surprise birthday party for her on Saturday, and the people that showed up, I mean, it was like a NASCAR reunion from the 40s 50s and 60s it was quite a quite a shindig and i have never seen so many birthday cakes in all my life in one place That's because cool. she had square ones she had round ones she had tall ones she had short ones the food was good the company was great the conversation was awesome and Frances is so amazing she has not one gray hair in her head that is and amazing. Being she's the, an amazing lady yeah yeah, being the stupid person that I am, I asked her, I said, Francis, do you color your hair? <laughs> she, she was so sweet. But she said, no, I never had. I haven't had to. And she's right. I mean, there is not one gray hair in her head. And considering the heart problems that she has had, you know, she practically died a couple of years ago. If I had to think, if I'm not mistaken, she did die. You know, yeah, what, what do they call it? Near death or whatever experience. Yeah. And came back, and she is just full of life, and it's just unbelievable. But we've got so many things that that go on with the historic people. We've got Augusta International Raceway coming up in September. The bike will be on Friday night, and Bobby Allison is being inducted into the Hall of Fame this year. Donnie was inducted last year, so both of them are expected to be back. And I... I you know, I'm just working with so many different things, but I'm having fun with every bit of it. Well, that's good, man. I'm glad we're able to catch up again. I'm not sure right now when we do the next show. We'll we'll get it figured out and put put an announcement up there. Uh, I apologize for the lack of uh, continuity, but work's got to got to happen, and that's what I do. So uh, we're going to yeah. get on out of here so I can get home and and uh, I miss lunch. I'm hungry. <laughs> um, and get something to eat jack thanks for coming buddy and pr appreciate you tim thank you and thanks to you folks that turned in and 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 let us uh to be part of the evening we appreciate you too so uh and a big thanks to don gray uh for coming yes. on and, and yep. you'll be seeing yes. some more stuff i'm gonna i'm gonna do as much as i can over the next little bit to uh, document don's history on racersreunion.com get some make him a gallery up there and get some stories that's a good Did, deal. does he ever come down to myrtle beach he was here last week oh really and, and did a quick for, to show that car a week before last and and i didn't know it and he didn't i don't you know i don't know if he knew how to get in touch with me but a friend of mine started all this chap slaughter he said hey don gray's going to be down there you need to get up with him and 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 then by the time we found out about it, he'd already been here so man if he makes another trip we need him in the studio oh i thought it'd be great to get him in here man it would yeah because listen we just tipped you can imagine the stories oh, yeah. that the dude has. You know, we know how we like the stories. So, all right, folks, we're going to get out. Appreciate it. Love you guys. Mean it. Thanks for tuning in to each and every one of you. Good night and God bless. Good night, guys. It was great to be together again for another show. So we'll catch you whenever the next text message says we'll be here. Thank you, Tim. Good night, Tim. Care, buddy. <laughs> See you, buddy. Good night, Jack.